Hills family, how we doing? Right. <coughs> Sorry. Man, um, one, well, I need to greet everyone first. So good morning, Old Town. Good morning, uh, Tulare Street. Good morning, Novato, Porterville. Everyone's watching our online community. We know you are with us. I was talking to people um, just the other day. I hadn't seen them in over a year, but they've been with us faithfully online every week, and we know that you are with us. So thank you. We appreciate that. So um, I got to, if you weren't in this room and you were at another um, location, I just got to clue you into like, a, I had a moment um, during worship. And um, do I have my phone? I don't have my phone. Whatever. I can, I can do it from memory. Um, is that my phone? Could you? That's what my wife does. <laughs> she always. Kelly, where's my keys? Where's my phone? No, oh, I'm lost. I can't do anything. I was, we were worshiping, and we were, we were singing, Oh, Praise the Name. And it's kind of a modern hymn. It's a song we did after communion. And um, one, I could hear the church singing. Something beautiful when God's people sing. It pushes back the gates to hell. I really believe that. I believe people's chains are falling off today because of your worship. But to hear all of you guys singing, the scripture came to my mind, you know, because we were singing about the return of Christ. Right? In Acts chapter 2, Peter got up because pe people were hating on the Christians for what, how the Spirit was moving in them. And Peter got up and quoted the prophet Joel. And he said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below. You know, in 1969, America was um, a very divided place. The Vietnam War had split people in two, it split our country in two. There was a sexual revolution going on. There was a cultural revolution going on. There was all kinds of craziness. Doesn't feel like today whatsoever, does it? And in Costa Mesa, California, there was a little band of young people that got on fire for Jesus. And in 1970, something happened with the hippies. And they all started coming to Jesus at this little church called Calvary Chapel in, in Costa Mesa. And that was a revival that spread among young people across the whole country. Because a few young people got radical and they didn't care what the world thought was right. They didn't care what the world thought was moral. They didn't care what they said, I want Jesus and I want more of him. And as you guys were singing, I just pray to God that why not us? Why not today? Amen. Why not us? Why not today? We, this isn't in my sermon. I don't know if I'm going to get to my sermon, but listen. I, I want you to understand this. We have seen culture, and, and it seems to happen every 50 to 7 years that the culture kind of 
leaves God. It's the story of Israel. They'll, they'll leave God in his ways and they'll go on their own way and things will become chaotic. And it said, it said in the book of Judges, these were the days in Israel when everyone did what they ought, what they wanted to. And, and chaos reigned. But what would happen is God would raise up a few faithful people, a few faithful people that got radical for him and they would come back to him and it would catch like fire. And what we've seen happen through the ages, I don't know if you know this, on Easter Sunday in 1950, not 1950, 1850, the largest cathedral in London, St. James Cathedral, they had six people in attendance on an Easter Sunday. At that time, Notre Dame had become a secular, a humanist chapel. Voltaire had said, in the year 1800, Voltaire had said, Christianity is dead It'll be gone within 70 years. But by 1850, every church in London was packed to the brim. And the spirit of God moved. He moved. So I want you to understand something. I look at a little church in Novato, and they may have a handful of believers there, but they're faithful and they're seeking God. We may, we, may look, we may look at our culture and there's all kinds of people deconstructing and running from the faith, but there is a faithful remnant and there is a generation that is seeking him. Amen. And why not us? Why not now? Yeah. Sorry, I, I have a sermon. I had a joke to start with too, but I couldn't. But what it takes is conversion. And in this room and in all of our campuses, I, I think there's three types of people right now. I mean, I'm speaking a giant generality, but it's true. Is there's some of you that are here today and you're like, well, I don't believe in all this. I'm just visiting with a friend and I don't need to be converted. So I don't need to listen to a message on conversion. Um, there's others of you in the room, you're like, well, I've already been converted, so I don't need that message on conversion. And then there's another group of you in, on, on every campus and watching online too that you think you've been converted and you never were. And I think Acts chapter 9 speaks to that today. And that's where we're going to go. with the, the, It's called the conversion of Saul. And I'm going to read to you... Um, Acts 9, it's verses 1 through 8. And then I'm going to jump forward from 17 to verse 19. Um, so we don't read the whole long passage, but I'll give, you, I'll give you the gist of it. So if you would, I'd love it if you'd stand in honor of God's word. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he replied, Now get up and go to the city. You'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, 
But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is God's word. You may be seated. So if you have your outline in the Clovis Hills app, I encourage you, even at every campus, pull it out, download it, whatever. Number one is this. Um, Everyone needs to be converted. That that word conversion feels bad, doesn't it? Like, it's funny because we see on occasion, you'll see someone that converted from something. Like they were extremely liberal and they became conservative or they were extremely conservative and they became liberal or they were, you know, um, you know, they were a dastardly person and they killed puppies and ate kittens and then they became a nice person or you, you see those things, but we're always fascinated by them because it doesn't happen very often. To be honest, most people's conversions is a process and we do it reluctantly until finally like we can really see you know, and I'll give you a great example. Um, my whole life owning a cell phone, ever since there's been a smartphone, I owned one that was an Android operating system. And I ragged on all you Apple users for 10 years here at Clovis Hills. I would joke. I would say, oh, I have a Samsung. It's like the iPhone, but for men. <laughs> right? Well, our IT department... You know, they, they've replaced every computer on this campus with a Mac. I have a Mac. I preach from an iPad. And my Android doesn't talk to it. And it broke. <sighs> I'm one of the world's most reluctant converts. I know, there's a lot of shame in it for me. But Whatever. But everyone needs to be converted. And I, I want to talk to you about that. Look what it says in verse 1 and 2 of this passage. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked them for letters um, to the synagogue in Damascus. I want to pause there. I want you to understand what's going on. In Acts chapter 7, we're in 9 right now. Um, the, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, he was drug outside the city of Jerusalem. And the, the, the Jewish um, hierarchy said stone him. And they began to stone him and they killed him. And, um, you know, his, his tomb, there's a tomb right there outside the gates of Jerusalem you can go to. I've been to it. And they, they stoned him. They killed him. He cried out as they were killing him. Forgive them, Lord. They know not what they do. They, they threw rocks at him even harder. Killed him even more. Right? It says in Acts 7 that there was a man named Saul who stood in approval of all of this. He was, a, he was part of a, a Jewish um, party called the Pharisees. They would have been like the conservatives of the day. And he stood above Stephen and he was giving approval saying, yes, get him. This is of God. As a matter of fact, I will hold your cloaks as you kill this man. 
And now Saul, whatever it was, him seeing Stephen being killed, he was like, it's on. I'm stopping Christianity. I'm stopping this Jesus thing. I'm stopping it all. And he got approval from the high priest. He says, I want to go to Damascus. I'm going to arrest some more people. We'll bring them back. We'll try them just like Stephen and we'll have a good old stoning. Not the California kind, the first century Jerusalem kind. So then, then it says, so that if he found any there, right? So that if he found any there who belonged to the way. I don't know if you realize this, the first Christians, they turned the world upside down. They weren't powerful. They had nothing. All they had was the Spirit of God in them. And here's what happened. Over the next 300 years, it completely toppled the Roman Empire. It completely changed all of Western culture. As a matter of fact, many of the things, even if you don't believe in God, the things that you think are good came out of Christianity usually. You know, the fact that you believe in freedom or that you should do unto others as others would do unto you. Much of our moral fabric that human, that Western culture is built on was because of these people. And, and they believed Jesus radically and they didn't call them Christians yet. They called themselves the way. As a matter of fact, they would gather the first day of every week, Sunday, the way would in houses all over the empire and they would take communion together and they would remember Jesus and they would sing to him and they would hear from God's word and then they would go be the church. And they were called the way. So he wanted to arrest them. And I want you to think about who Paul is. Paul needed conversion just as much as like any, any bad person. He was religious. He knew, the back, he knew the Bible backwards and forwards. As a matter of fact, if you were a Pharisee, you would actually coalesce all the commandments of Scripture down to 600 commandments. And uh, according to Philippians 3, Paul obeyed them to a T. He obeyed the law flawlessly. He, you know, if, if you were going to say obeying the law was the right thing to do, he did everything right, yet he still needed conversion. He was sincere. You hear people say it all the time. It doesn't matter what you believe. You just need to be sincere about it. Whether you're a Muslim or you're a Christian or you're a Buddhist or you're an atheist or you're this, on and on and on. We say like, oh, you just need to be sincere. And I want you to understand something. That sounds wonderful, but what if you're sincerely wrong? Because you can be sincere and wrong. I'll tell you, the intellectual elite of Northern Europe in the late 1930s, sat around drinking wine, listening to Wagner, talking about how human beings needed to evolve, quoting Nietzsche, needed to evolve to the next level of the human species and become what Nietzsche called the superhuman. And they came to the logical deduction that therefore disabled people, people that they believed had a lesser gene pool should be eliminated from the planet Earth. They were very sincere in what, and they were very devout in what they believed. But if you are sincerely wrong, you're sincerely screwed. I can believe my gas-powered lawnmower is electric. I can plug it in and be very sincere about it, and it still will not start. Some of you are judging me because I have a gas-powered lawnmower. Listen, eco-warriors, I got an electric car and solar panels and I recycle, okay? Some people think, well, you just got to have a lot of faith. Paul had a lot of faith. 
But he still needed to be converted. I love what Jesus says. He says in Matthew 18, Matthew 18, 3, I think we have the scripture if you put it up. He says, and this is in the old King James Version, it says, unless you are converted, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Everyone needs to be converted. I think of the story of the great saint, Dave Love. If you're at other campuses, we have a guy, most people know him at, at North and at Old Town. Dave Love, he was a pastor here, 30 years. He's still a pastor here. He retired. He works harder than when he was working, I think. Now he's retired. Just basically works for Jesus for free now. And um, just an amazing guy. But um, I love his testimony because he, he'll, he tells it when he goes to dessert with the pastors. And he'll say, yeah, I grew up going to church. I knew the Bible. I went to Sunday school. I, I attended church almost every week. Um, I was a devout Christian. And then I was 17 year old, years old and I was working and there was this, woman, this young woman that was kind of my age and I, I worked with her and she was just so different than everyone else. And there was something so different about her life. And finally, I, one day while we were working, I just said, hey, what is it about you? You're just incredibly different than everyone else. And she said to him, well, it's simple. Um, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and Jesus Christ has made an incredible difference in my life. And Dave was like, what? And he went home, and that phrase haunted him because he said, I know the Bible, I know going to church, I know Christianity, I know all of that, but has Jesus made a difference in my life? He hasn't. He, and what he realized is he knew who Jesus was. He did not know Jesus. And probably that was the moment of his conversion when he came to that conclusion. He said, I want Jesus. And here's why. Conversion, number two, changes your heart and your mind. And I want you to understand something about that and how that works with all human beings. It works this way. This is the way God has designed us. Is that many times, mo most human beings, when you have a deep-seated belief that you have, and maybe it's a belief on sexuality, or maybe it's a belief on, uh, on, on Jesus, or maybe it's a belief in a political party or a political ideology, whatever your belief is, you have to understand this. This is the way God has desired your brain. He designed your brain in this way, is that you will choose to believe it first, and then you will seek out reasons to believe it afterwards. There may be reasons that got you to choose to believe it, but you didn't have all the facts. You didn't have all that. You chose to believe something, and then you set out to do it. I have a dear friend, and she came to me once when I said that, and she goes, well, that's not the case with me. Maybe it's 99.9% .9 of people. I said, well, tell me your story. And she was like, well, um, you know, you were doing this series on apologetics, and I was invited, and I came, and I was, lit, I was, I was listening to you talk about reasons to believe in the Bible, reasons to believe in faith. But then uh, Lee Strobel came, and it just sealed the deal. So I researched all the facts, and then I became a believer. And I said, okay, first and foremost, did you research all the facts in a five-week sermon series? Well, I went out and I looked myself because it inspired me. I go, that, that's, that's cool. Why did you start coming to church if you didn't believe? And she goes, got me. <laughs> yeah, the truth is, God was at work in her heart before she ever knew it. God was at work in the circumstances in her life before she ever knew it. And he was pointing her to that moment where she had the courage to say, I want Jesus. I remember her day. She walked forward, got a light bulb, screwed it in when they're on the walls over there. By the way, she's our junior high director now here at the North Campus. Many years ago, yes. But listen, 
When you, when you, Paul was blind for three days after he saw that light. He, he had a lot of thinking he did, didn't he? You sit there blind, you can't do much but think. You know, this is the first century. They didn't have seeing eye dogs. They didn't have Braille. They didn't have, he just sat there and he thought. And he probably was like, how can Jesus be the Messiah? How, can, how could, you know, I've read the scriptures backwards and forwards. There's no way God becomes a man. How could God be a man? And then, and then why would he die? You know, but, but then he probably sat and thought. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, I've been sacrificing animals all my life for sins. And I know for a fact that the blood of those animals doesn't really cleanse me of my sin. It's just a symbol. Could it be? Wait a minute. I have the book of Isaiah memorized. In Isaiah 53, it talks about the Messiah will come, but then part of that, that, that prophecy, it says that the Messiah will suffer, that he'll be pierced for our sins, that, he'll, you know, that his, by his stripes will be forgiven and healed, and all of a sudden, all of this is coming to him, and his heart changed, and now his mind is changed, and here's what happens. When your heart changes and you realize, I've been going the wrong way. I've been going my way. I want Jesus. Here's what happened. Then your eyes get open. Then you begin to see the world differently. I want you to know something. Young people, when you are full of the Holy Spirit, Ananias comes, prays over Saul. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Saul sees now. He sees the world differently. He doesn't see it through the eyes of a Jewish rabbi, of a Jewish um, Pharisee. He sees the world now as a child of Jesus, as a servant of Jesus. And I want you to understand something. When you are full of the Spirit, you will see the world differently. You will look at TikTok and you'll realize there's not everything on there is telling me the truth. As a matter of fact, some of it is leading me away from God. All the old people are like, yeah, tell them, Pastor. Old people, you will look at Fox News. You will realize not all of that, not all of the Daily Wire, not all of PragerU is inherently of the kingdom of God, and it is also teaching you false doctrines. Amen. Millennials! Don't get me started on CNN. I think you got the point with Fox, right? All of a sudden, you have spiritual eyes to see. And it doesn't, I mean, for some people, it's instantly like Paul just saw. He, oh, my, oh my gosh, right? For others of us, it's not like a blinding flash of light and then we see everything different. Um, I think for me, it was like the sun coming up. Sun came up today, I don't know when. I was awake when it was dark. But at some point it was daylight and I went, oh, it's morning. See, some of you, maybe you're at that place. Oh, I need to know Jesus. Look what it says. I, I, I love this. In verse 20, 20, I don't know if you know this, in um, Luke 9, right, we get this account of Saul being uh, converted. He becomes Paul, wrote the, most of the Bible. Um, and then in Luke, uh, or, or in Acts 22, and then in Acts 26, Saul tells his story. He gives his testimony, and he tells it in his way. And one of the reasons we know that this is, uh, that the book of Acts is a historical book, it's not just a fairy tale made up, is the very fact that um, the way Luke tells Saul, Saul's story, his conversion, is a little different. Saul adds a little more detail in Acts 22 and Acts 26. And those of you that are in law enforcement, you know if you have four witnesses and they come together and they have an identical story, they got together and lied. 
That's the way it works. Usually, if all four of us stood on a corner and we saw an accident happen, we all have a different way of telling how the same accident happened. I noticed what kind of car it was that wrecked. Some of you might notice what she was wearing. Some of you might notice there was a child seat in the back, whatever. But the whole point is these stories, they, they have little nuances to them. And in Saul's account of it in verse um, chapter 26, look what he says. He goes, I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, that's a Jewish street language. Wasn't in Spanish. God doesn't speak Spanish. Sorry, I thought it was. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then, and then a few verses later, Jesus goes on to say this to him. He says to him, he goes, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'll rescue you from them. What does that mean? He says, I'm sending, them, sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I need you to understand something. He tells Saul, I'm going to send you to people and you're going to turn them from darkness to light. Not darkness to kind of darkness. Not one shade of darkness to 50 shades of gray. <laughs> darkness to light. From Satan to God. Not from Satan to maybe... Not say, what he is saying is that if you are not with him, if you are not with Jesus, you actually are a child of the devil. That sounds awful, doesn't it? But, but this is what's going on here. And, and Jesus understood this, and I think as the church go, in the 21st century, we need to know this, that we are entering into an age where Christianity is not going to be popular. The belief in Scripture, in the God of the Bible, will not be a popular belief because it calls people to repent that I was going the wrong way to say I was wrong and now I see differently. I love what it says in um, 17 through 19. Because this guy Ananias comes in and it says, then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, think about that. Ananias, and we, I didn't read you the, the middle part of the story. Ananias, God comes to Ananias in a vision and says, you're going to go to this house and Saul of Tarsus is there. And Ananias knows who Saul of Tarsus is. He's a very famous Pharisee. He knows that he's been arresting Christians in his town. He knows that an encounter with Saul of Tarsus means you are probably going back to Jerusalem to be killed, or if, if anything, jailed at the least. And he says, I want you to go to, to that house. You're going to lay hands on Saul, and you're going to heal him from being blind. And some of you have trouble just getting to church once a month. And he goes in, and I love this. This is the beauty of, of the body of Christ. No, we're not perfect by no means whatsoever. But we do love you right where you're at in faith. He didn't know what Saul was going to do to him, but God had said it, so he believed it, and he said, Brother Saul, a man that was, was his enemy, he was calling his brother, and he wasn't quite sure if he was really his brother or not. He said it in faith. Saul began to see. And it leads me to number four in the outline. 
conversion, it's the result of a process in your life. You have to understand that. Um, I, I'm still being converted. There was a place in my life where I put my trust in Jesus. I didn't understand it. I was a little kid, and I just believed that Jesus died for my sins, and I didn't want to go to hell, and I believed it, and I was saved that day. It was, it was literally that easy. And some of you, you struggle with it being that easy. Read the Bible. It's really hard to get past that. But then the rest of my life, I've been trying to see Jesus more clearer and clearer. And the apostle Paul, the guy that just got converted in this story, he goes on to write um, to, the, uh, to the Corinthians and he tells them, he goes, but right now we see through a glass darkly. And what he's saying is that, that we don't see clearly yet. And there's this process in my life, at least, that the longer I follow Jesus the, the, and, and the closer I draw to him, the clearer I see. This morning, I was wearing sunglasses, and I walked backstage, and it's incredibly dark back there. And I heard uh, Daniel Aiello say, hey, what's up? And I was like, where are you? <laughs> because I was seeing through a dark, a, in darkness through a dark glass. But here's the thing. Over the years, God has used my failures, my sin, my, my stupidity, my success, my things that happened to me that weren't my fault, all of it, he's used all of that and he's helping me see clearer. So, I tell you this, I love this verse, verse 14 of chapter 26. This is where Paul like adds a little more to his story than, than Luke put in. He says, we all fell to the ground and I heard the voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Kick against the goads. What is a goad? What, what are you talking about? Well, I would tell you, um, in, in the, you know, in living in the 21st century, I, I had vegetarians, please don't judge a guilt-free zone, but I had lamb last night. It was delicious. <laughs> okay? And, um, you know, I don't see the lamb. I don't see it get slaughtered. I don't see it get processed. I don't see it get butchered. It comes to me in a little package, and it sits on my grill, and is delicious, right? But those of you that know that farm, or you know, you, you know the process is uh, much more messy and, and whatnot. In the ancient world, um, everyone would have known that. P most people farmed in one way or another. And a goad was what a shepherd used. And sometimes it was at the end of the shepherd's staff, and it was just a real sharp tip that they would sharpen the end of the shepherd's staff, or it would be a separate stick. It was just a sharp stick. <clears throat> and a good shepherd, because sheep, I don't know if you know this, we have a guy in our church who actually has a hundred sheep and he confirmed it with me one Sunday when I preached on it. Sheep really are some of the stupidest animals on the planet. They're, they really are. Like they need to be led to food or they will starve. Like the pastor's right there and they're like, nah, they, they don't know. So the shepherd pokes them and they, and they, you know, or the shepherd dog chases them and they go, sheep, they just kind of follow the herd. They will also literally walk off a cliff. If, if the leader of that herd starts walking and they fall off a cliff, the rest of them will all go. So when your mom says, if all your friends jumped off a cliff, you answer, yeah, I would probably, okay. 
I get it. He says, Saul, why do you kick against the goats? Why do you think Saul was so mad at the Christians? Why did he want to arrest them and, and have them killed? Do you not think as he saw Stephen being stoned and he said, Father, forgive them. And everyone didn't want to hear him talk about that. And he said, look, I see the Son of Man seated at the right hand. It made him more angry. Do you not realize this? That God had been goading Saul to him his whole life. Everything that had happened in Saul's life was pointing him to that moment where he finally surrendered and said, okay, it wasn't like the light went on. He's like, okay, I get it now. It was a long process in his life. Saul was born um, wealthy in the city of Tarsus. His parents bought him Roman citizenship, which meant he was super wealthy. He was schooled under Gamaliel, the greatest rabbi of the time. Gamaliel had even said about Christianity, leave it alone. If it's from God, it'll, it'll thrive. If it's not, it'll die. We've seen a million fake messiahs out there. But why was Saul, one of his students, so dead? set on arresting and killing Christians is because he was kicking against the goad. The good shepherd was moving into him and he said, no, I don't want to go there. I don't want Jesus. I don't want, I want what I want. I want what I believe. I want what I like. I like my political ideology. I like my way of living. I like my sexuality. I like my sin. I like this. I like it. And he was kicking against the goads. And Jesus is asking all of us this morning, how long will you kick against the goads? Because it hurts way more than a poke in the butt. Someone tweet that. <laughs> See, I've been in ministry almost 30 years now and it just rings true. I see it all the time. People come to God. They come home to God. They realize they need God. Sadly, usually during trial, trauma, or transition. And it hurts because they've been kicking. They've been kicking something sharp that's been pointing them to the very solution of their life. And believe it or not, some of the worst things that can happen in your life might be the very things that draw you closer to the living God and give you a greater peace than you could ever imagine. You know, when my wife got brain cancer four years ago, I had a couple why me moments. How could you do this to me? I was an older brother for a minute. But, but I've, got, I've got to tell you this. In the last four years, I've never been closer with Jesus because of it. Not just praying for her, just in general. Like, like spiritually, like they took some of the darkness off the glass and I, it got clearer. I was able to see more. And see, sometimes I could have fought against that and been angry at God for that. I know people all the time, they're like, you let so-and-so die. And, 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 I, and I get that and it hurts. But, but, but maybe even in that moment, maybe the God of the universe is trying to draw you closer to him because it's better to be closer to him, to be in the hands, the arms of the God who made you than off on your own, bitter, anxious, scared in your own sin. And I don't think God gave my wife cancer. But I sure know he's using it. 
And why would I kick against the goads? So some of you, today's your day. It's time to just do it. Like stop considering religion. Stop considering faith. Stop considering church. Stop considering Jesus. And take that step. Some of you, it's just, it's a journey home. You believe it, but you haven't been living it. I get that. I've been there. God's not mad at you. He's just saying, come on. And then others, you may be like Pastor Dave. You're like, well, I thought I was, but I don't think I know Jesus. I just know about Jesus. The God of the universe loves you. The Bible says in John 1, 12, I tell you every week, but as many as received him, to those believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. It's not based on how good you are. It's based on how good he is to you. And it's all free. And Jesus is looking at you right now and he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me so I can give you rest. And if you're tired of your way, maybe today's the day you do something brave. We're gonna pray in a moment. And if you wanna receive Jesus, wherever you're at, whatever campus you're at, I encourage you to do that. Talk to him in your own words. If you're rededicating your life or you're wherever you're at, this is a moment where you connect to the living God. So let's, let's just bow our heads, let's close our eyes.